Oh, the recording? Yeah. I think you're good. Hey, hi, Jeannie. Hi. Hey, everyone. This is Cindy Silva. I'm here with my great friend, Jeannie Zandi, my teacher as well. <laughs> I just feel, yeah, excited about this conversation. So um, recently, I've been really drawn to this inward pole, and I think it's partly due to the solstice and the winter solstice being in the northern hemisphere and this darkening of the light and things that want to be met that most of us aren't conscious of that inner pull to look at our conditioning and anytime shadow work comes up for me I think of Jeannie and and the work she's done and bears. yeah <laughs> what do we call it what should we call you the maven of the dark I don't know that <laughs> sounds good <laughs> So I just, um, yeah, I invited Jeannie into this conversation, just an informal space for kind of exploring shadow, um, kind of defining it. And another thing that's come up um, kind of synchronistically was um, I, I heard that Robert Bly passed. And oh, I didn't know. Wow. Yeah, in November. And um, I just think of him, you know, and his his relationship to men's work, and you're very big in, involved with that. And then also his little book on the shadow and yeah. Um, yeah, how he was one of the pioneers in this area as well of uh, making that um, a big part of understanding our totality, integrating our totality. and Yeah, and, and popularizing all of the work that Carl Jung did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And definitely Carl Jung. And yeah, so I've been called to go become more in my own space and really claim this time of solitude and um, work with that collective unconscious. And um, I, one of the things Carl Jung really um, emphasized was when we do this descent to make sure we have ties to the outer world, um, to stay connected to work we love and people that we um, that can help ground us and hold space for this. So you're one of those people for me, and I wanted to <laughs> pair you with some of my people and have this conversation. And thank you for saying yes. And we're going to do a series of these which is wonderful. So we'll see, you know, what today opens up and use this as our launch into what wants to be known and met. So thank you for <laughs> being here and um, love to just have you share um, a little bit about yourself and what brought you to shadow work. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I can feel all the little seeds sprouting on this topic. As you talk, I can feel Oh, this and this and this. So there's just so much to say in here. Um, well, I have been interested in human potential and wholeness as long as long as I can remember. You know, just as long as I can remember. And uh, fortunately, I was gifted with something called the dark night of the soul. I wasn't feeling fortunate at the time. But it's really uh, a valid path via negativa is what um, a name that's been put to it basically instead of sort of being catapulted into light one is pulled down uh, sort of gets a weird access almost 
to one's deepest uh, patterning um, into, you know, just the most essential patterning that there is, starting with uh, what we call um, in uh, spiritual work separation, which is at the core of all of all of the splitting into light and dark, et cetera, et cetera, um, in our psyches. So uh, I was already someone, you know, maybe because, you know, we could say astrologically all my planets are below the horizon. <laughs> you can already see in that picture. It's like, okay, this life's work is going to be below the horizon. Um, I have always had a penchant for the real, the actual, to look, you know, to to stop for a dead bird. I can remember when my daughter was a toddler, you know, going over to a dead bird and looking at it and talking about it and, and touching it and then washing our hands, but touching it and getting up close to the actual and, and what can the actual instruct us in as we, you know, make a relationship to it. And so much of what happens um, in our conditioning is that we are encouraged and that would be a mild word, to turn away from certain actualities and to start to kind of build a closet where we throw things that the people around us don't know how to meet with us um, and that we may not know how to meet by ourselves. And uh, I love the term shadow um, because when you're facing the sun, you don't see your shadow. Um, and uh, it also implies that these things are out of sight. And so um, I was already very involved by the time this uh, darkness hit, which was around 1997. So I was, uh, how old was I? 30, 35, 35. Um, I, I had already done like more than a decade of really deep work um, because that was my my search for wholeness was really to look at the places of limitation in myself and to, you know, pull up the, pull up the rocks and see the squirming things underneath, you know, often things that we don't want to admit that are difficult to meet, etc. Um, so it, it's really been my life's work in a way, but very personally, not professionally. At first, I did go get a degree at Naropa University and transpersonal counseling psych and but my whole life as I was more walking this kind of traditional little uh, software job my whole private world was a passion for uh, the exploration of my own potential my own places where I was not operating from clarity or love etc all that so then you know this, this dark night happened, which was classic. It was right out of St. John of the Cross's Dark Night of the Soul. He basically thanked God for that book when I found it because I, I thought it was going crazy. Um, but that whole process was a, a four to five year descent into, it's sort of like when you take a puppy and you put the puppy's nose in its poo, you know, to teach it not to not to poo in the in the house. I don't know if that's even an effective method, but my face was planted in my own shadow. And uh, some of the people who, who come to me who are going through the dark night, it's like, oh my God, I'm, I'm a wretch. It's like, yeah, the wretched aspects of us are up in our faces so much that we feel like that's all we are when that kind of dark hits. And, 
you know, a lot of people with trauma know what I'm talking about, people who struggle, um, people who don't have debilitating levels of psychological challenge also, because um, I didn't have debilitating levels of psychological challenge up until that point, um, can be taken so down when the kind of lid on the well <laughs> is put aside and we uh, take that journey down into uh, not only our personal darkness, our personal unknown realms, but the cultural, the societal, the familial, the ancestral, the collective um, realms of what has been sealed off from us. And this is, you know, Carl Jung wrote a ton about this and had his own um, dark night passage and his own um, exploration and learning from that. So much wisdom there. And at the end of the dark night, uh, what emerged was um, a, a completely different way of, of being here, where being in the, I was, I don't know, how do I even, I mean, I always come up with new words for this because I, I really don't like cliches. Sometimes my words sound cliche because it's the only way to say it. Um, but just relieved of my sense of a separate self-concept that was the main character of my life with a timeline and a story and a, a, a an origin and a destination and all of that to just being radically uh, kind of like a force of presence in the moment free of free of that sense of the conceptual and free of a sense that that thing was even very interesting at all <laughs> that main character and and the thing called her life so that's cool and a lot of people who see through self-concept who become teachers really focus on consciousness focus on light focus on you know don't don't look at all that stuff you know turn toward the consciousness that you are and for whatever reason my style uh, includes that as the soil as the bedrock as the truth within which everything else dances and um, what i'm intimately in tune with um, and interested in as i walked through sort of the satsang halls and the satsang world um, many, many people, students, whoever, you know, people that I ran into, uh, there was, it seemed like there was a dangerous, um, I don't know about refusal, but tendency to include the unconscious to, uh, and the wisdom of how the unconscious operates in conditioning, um, the degree to which we don't have a choice when we're unconscious and that sort of thing. And and because of all of the um, wisdom here, whether from this life or another, I don't know, about um, meeting and integrating things that are unconscious so that the light penetrates uh, the places of the unconscious where we literally act like beasts. We can see this throughout our history. We can see it now. Um, and, and all of us, we all act like beasts in the places where shadow exists. We just don't see it. Our friends do. <laughs> um, and I could talk on and on about my discoveries here, right? But um, 
you know, when you say walk our talk, it's like, yeah, this, the spiritual path is not only, oh, gee, I had this experience, oh, gee, I saw through my separate self nature. But how do I move, walk, talk, work, love from the fullness of my being, which is intimately connected to how much of the time am I conscious? How much is my shadow material uh, taking over and using this instrument for something I can't love? And then I'm actually not even aware of until someone near me says, ow. <laughs> and, uh, you know, oftentimes teachers can get quite isolated without anyone. How do I say this? We've all seen or read about this phenomenon where uh, the teacher's amazing, charismatic, speaking truth, amazing stuff. People flock, people flock. The teacher may not have a peer may not have someone they feel can hold them, someone whose truth they trust, they get increasingly isolated. And uh, the power dynamic can have their students doubting themselves when they see the teacher's shadow or pointing to the shadow, the teacher doesn't see it, so they say that's your projection or whatever. And in that isolation without good reflection, um, the teacher's shadow, uh, remains the shadow and actually wreaks havoc on the people who are in the person's orb, um, as well as, as a teacher, with all of the projection that happens, the, the responsibility to, there, there's a great responsibility to do no harm, a great responsibility for these beings who are handing their trust to you, um, to be continually kind of looking at yourself and digesting what you can't see, having peers that can, or some kind of method of really taking criticism and sifting it out for what bits uh, are actually being perpetuated by you. But also the whole phenomenon of um, when you sit as light, when you sit as power, when you have any quality, any human quality, that is, I know, I realize I'm just launching here and, you know, we'll pick up the pieces later. Um, <laughs> but when you have any human quality that you have, that is rare, that most people have been conditioned and hurt around, let's say as a woman, you feel a right to your voice. You feel a right to your yang, to your decision making, to, a, to your, to um, appearing, to not being invisible. Well, part of women's conditioning is really to, and, and our knowing, is to undermine knowing, to um, shut down the voice, to even in these days of yay women, uh, the conditioning is still operating through the culture, through our parents, everything else, to have us going, we're, we're over on the sidelines, you know, you fellows take care of it. And then, you know, these ancient patterns, which can be very subtle or not, but when someone steps out with a quality, innocence, clarity, uh, confidence, light, gifts, the, that dynamic of others who have been hurt in that very place, 
their pain rises unconsciously. They don't realize it. And they want to kill that thing. They want to shut that thing up. They want to do to that thing what got done to them in that spot, which we see throughout history um, in terms of uh, all of the harm that has been done to people. And the, oh my gosh, um, people of color, Jewish people, women, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, um, gay and lesbian, all, all the places uh, where our shadow coalesces in aggression because we are uncomfortable with something that lives in us that we're not even aware of. And so the, the, the shadow works both ways, both as a leader, because we were chatting when we were off camera, about leadership and shadow, which is just such a fascinating area that I, I've, you know, done a, a lifetime study of just because I always stepped into leadership from being very, even my baby book says, likes to boss small children. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that, like, likes to boss the younger children. It's like, um, I always had this, let's go, let's do this, you know, kind of thing. Uh, that energizes other people's aggression, their envy, their jealousy, their hurt, their whatever. And if you can carry that, if you can stay in the truth, if you can do your work and hold fast to the goodness and the goodness, the goodness, the innocence, and the forgive them, Father, they know not what they do, there can be a tremendous gift to humanity from an informed, um, holistic, undivided, merciful compassion and clear leadership that serves people very deeply. But boy, it's really, you get a run for your money. You, you hang a shingle out, you take a stand for anything that's beautiful and good, and you are a lightning rod for things, to put it in the best way possible, for things that are dying to heal and come to light. It just doesn't look like they're dying to heal. It looks like they want you to die. <laughs> that was a mouthful. I'll pause and maybe breathe a few times. <laughs> you have to say thank you. It just sometimes it just like there's a chunk that wants to come out. Yeah, it's a it's a ripe right now. That transmission you just brought through. I mean, it's so up in the collective, and yeah, I'm glad you tied in the leadership piece because that's big. Not everyone is. Um, you know, encountering their shadow in relationship to being a leader, but definitely the word that comes up for me is influence. We're all being influenced. And in fact, right now in our world, we have this um, explosion of influencers, right? I mean, there's no um, better way to look at what's happening, you know, on that collective unconscious than to look at the world and what's rising up as popular. Um, and so we're always being influenced by who we're with. And it's, I had a teacher tell me once that um, perspective isn't everything, it's the only thing. And I've come to realize that, you know, that is true, but perspective is what's getting projected. So projection is everything and we're all projecting. And in fact, be, beyond the personal or human projections, there is consciousness, which is the totality projecting through each form onto itself to know itself and sort of 
provoking something like trying to poke holes in all this hiding that's going on to reveal yeah. and allow that to come into the space between us so it can be digested and experienced and seen and witnessed. And um, this is how we learn about ourselves. This is how consciousness reveals and learns about itself. And anything that's been suppressed or oppressed is, um, is going to eventually come up that's just a natural law. And then when there's all these filters and um, judgments on it, it's gonna come up in a distorted way, right? In, in like a, a harmful way, just like we see in um, celibacy and monks that eventually that natural instinct that gets suppressed comes out in a way that's very distorted. And- Ken, Ken. Ken. Yeah, not all not all celibate humans act out sexually. <laughs> Let's just say that. I hope I didn't imply that, but <laughs> in the experiences we've seen that, yeah. so you know, applying that example to these other areas that we've suppressed, right? And um, when it does come out, the way that we, the choices we have in expressing that feel limited because of the level of receptivity in the world to it, the, the resistance to it. And so, um, yeah, it gets, it's gnarly and um, confusing and uh, messy. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Gnarly, confusing, and messy. <laughs> um, I want to just uh, define the term leading for sex. I use it very generically. Yeah, um, and you define the term uh, satsang to or sangha or something because you use that and something. Yeah, so the term satsang, meetings in truth, um, it's what a certain um, style uh, coming out of a tradition from India, a certain style of spiritual meeting uh, that m many people these days are holding from Gangaji to Adyashanti, he calls he used to call his thing Zen Satsang. So a certain sort of spiritual teacher using that term, meeting in truth, uh, for a certain style of being together, uh, that has a teacher and you know, sit in presence, ask questions, um, hear the truth, kind of thing. So that's that word. And then, leading. Um, I use it very generically. If you are. Let's say if you are um, the person in the room who is, and of course, this is always like up for grabs, up for discussion, everyone has their wisdom, etc. But sometimes in a moment, there is someone, they could be a quiet person, they could be someone who feels comfortable speaking. There is someone often in touch with what would serve the good of the whole. Uh, the emperor has no clothes. So that boy, in a way, was a leader in his willingness and his childhood innocence to speak something actual. The emperor has no clothes. And whether our form of leadership is to speak something true to whisper something true to someone who's willing to speak it, to 
organize around something that needs to happen. And we all have different gifts and we all have different ways of contributing. But what seems to happen is as we dispel the ignorance in us and become more and more in touch with the actual, uh, our wisdom deepens. We have the capacity, we can't even help it. I'm thinking of Muhammad when the, the tribes were, who's going to set the stone in the Kaaba? And forgive me for the details that I can't remember about the story, but it really struck me. Um, this was before anyone recogni recognized him, really, um, is my understanding. And the tribes were in conflict about setting this holy stone in its place. And, um, and uh, you know, I, I'm never, I can never remember the details of things. It's always the spirit of things. So they were kind of worrying about who, who would get to. And someone said, let's ask Muhammad, because Muhammad generally doesn't side with anyone or himself. He's not personally invested. He's, you know, like, like you would think of a good judge, someone who's impartial, clear. And he may have an idea that takes into account our unity. Um, instead of favoritism or personal gain. So they asked Muhammad, and Muhammad, I think, had everyone put their hands on the stone together and lay the stone. And so when people are in touch with the truth, when they are not personally invested, when they're serving the greater good and serving the whole, people can't help but recognize those people and call them out. What do you think? What do you think I should do? What's your input? And people over time are recognized. This is why some people will put out a shingle, hey, I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread. And, you know, people may check them out and, and no one comes. And then someone else may not even say anything, but their friend says, hey, would you sit in this room and answer questions? Because all these people want to hear what you have to say. And so life has a way of, in a way, smelling the wise, smelling the true and inviting it out. And sometimes we can, at some point, um, there is a, a stage where we say, okay, okay, I'm willing. Okay, I'm willing to sit here and offer what I have. Um, and hopefully we don't get too identified with, you know, someone wonderful called me who's dispensing all this wisdom and we're just willing to serve. But that willingness to step out, the willingness to answer the call, the willingness to step into one's gifts or offerings, to me, that's leadership, even if it happens very quietly, you know, at the Thanksgiving table, when someone says, hey, instead of arguing about politics, why don't we sing, you know, dashing through the snow? <laughs> Somebody in touch with what serves the good in a moment um, naturally is turned toward. And, you know, my, my little girl was pretty impartial and fair to the degree that she would incriminate herself and her friends in her true reporting of what happened at recess. And her teacher said to me one day, I, I was surprised because I heard some story and I said, what's going on? She said, oh, everyone knows that Sophia's the one in the class to ask what really happened at recess because she's fearless about giving a, just a clear report of what she saw. And so that's something very innocent. It's not someone trying to have power and yet true power comes in a way. Responsibility is given by the universe when we are good like that. So that's good. So that's what I'm talking about in terms of leadership is standing in the good 
whole tricky word there, standing in the true and offering to whatever degree, mm -hmm. serving the whole. Yeah, that's refreshing, you know, in comparison to what we consider leaders in our world, right? And how different that is. Yeah, way different. Two different, and we could even talk about power. I mean, two different forms of power. Power given by the universe to the true and power taken by, for personal gain, kind of grabbing it, grabbing it um, to use for, for one's personal gain or for one's self and cronies serving, self-serving, small self-serving, rather than whole-serving, truth-serving. It's like, who's your master in your leadership? <laughs> then, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So in your work, uh, sitting in that seat of people come to you often looking for clarity and asking for your perspective and truth. And um, I know through some trial and error and stories I've heard that um, you had to uh, kind of work with some projections on you, shadow projections, and I wonder if you want to share any anything about that. It could be experience or just a um, an overall kind of um, pattern that shows up. I think particularly um, in the beginning when people step up to lead and they're not prepared for that sort of projection. And um, yeah. yeah, what do you want to say about that? Well, um, whether all my life I had an awareness, and we could say this was from past life experience, um, I've had an awareness of uh, the phenomenon we would call the witch hunt, the phenomenon of a group shadow coalescing together around some identified bad person, victim person, vulnerable person, collecting in a mob to persecute. I've had a very, uh, a sense in my body of when that energy is building, what it looks like, how it works, what its results are, from stuff on the playground to stuff that happened to me when, you know, I was particularly good at school, like almost all the things in school that school is, I just had an ease with. And so feeling, you know, feeling the groups of girls and the thing that gets going in middle school where someone's going to be made bad or that kind of thing, I've had a, a sensitivity to that. So in my bones, I have known things about how to dispel that, about how it works, about what it's made of. So, um, and, and, as I said, you know, from really young, I was, you know, I can remember being 12 and getting a ragtag group of girls together to go shoot baskets on a side backboard in the gym before girls really did that. Girls didn't do that. The boy, it was the boys, the gym was the boys. And I was a little, you know, feminist and I loved, I loved games with balls. <laughs> And, and so 
this kind of, hey, peeps, let's do this thing I've been doing from young. And so whenever we say, hey, peeps, let's do this thing, you get to feel all those dy dynamics that, that exist in that. So by the time I was, you know, a teacher, for lack of a better word for it, it is what I do. I do, I do teach things. I share knowing and knowledge and whatever. Um, I just had a, a sense for how that worked and, you know, also um, having a lot of uh, experience starting with co-counseling and then with my transpersonal counseling degree, um, experience with the phenomenon of projecting and that sort of thing. I feel like I've always had an awareness of those dynamics and a respect for them and a, a feeling that, you know, here there's a real deep allegiance to the true and to harmlessness. And so um, one of the things that became really just amazed me about being a teacher um, was how amazing the dynamic of a shadow that someone carried, some unconscious material that someone carried, how perfectly they would overlay it on the situation, take details from the situation and build the fabric of a story that may have had a shred of truth. Like, yes, uh, when you said that, um, I, I wasn't listening because my attention was on the pizza I was ordering, you know what I'm saying, or whatever. But you weren't listening to me, you don't care about me, and here are nine other places where, and this must be true. And uh, to the point of just, it's it's actually, and I think we've all had this experience, I call it wallpaper, that the wallpaper of our early environments in which we were hurt paints itself all over everything. So suddenly I'm not loved, everyone hates me, depending upon our mood. And the next moment we have a big cry and we feel like everyone loves us. <laughs> but the power of that wallpaper, it feels truer than the actual. And watching, just watching the, sometimes the evil genius and, and sometimes we have power over it and sometimes we don't. Sometimes we can say, someone will ask us, is this true? And we can say, you know, that's not true at all. I totally adore you. Like whatever you're reading here that says, you know, people often project, you know, you don't love me, you don't like me, I'm the one you don't like, or, you know, all these things from our young, it, it's, it's outrageous. And what's lucky for me is that, you know, I have such an overabundance of ridiculous adoration for, <laughs> for humans, that it's very easy to give information that counters the projection, because it's just so real and actual. Um, but it, the power of those projections and the power of how that starts to move in a group. I had a, I had an a early women's retreat where there were a few new people and uh, there was someone there who was convinced that I was getting off on the attention of the women and was, and was very there in a very self-serving way and all this. She, this is the first time she'd ever seen me. And then there were a bunch of people who'd been with me for years. And this thing started to coalesce. Some of the new people, she spoke up. And then some of the new people were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I could feel 
the witch hunt energy starting to, you know, and um, just hanging with it, listening, you know, reflecting, because I, I take what people say and I take it in very deeply. Oh, maybe that's true. Let's see, you know, whatever. But I, I let everyone speak in the circle. And uh, the women who had been with me for a while, who knew me really well, um, really wise women with lots of experience, um, we just let everybody speak and it, it dispelled itself through that support and that uh, sense, the experience of the women who'd been with me for a long time. Um, I am sure having a whole lot of fun when I'm teaching. <laughs> but the fun and the good feeling is not coming from the people. It's coming from the connection to God, you know. So if people are hating me or they're loving me, I'm still having fun. <laughs> but the to watch, and a lot of that, various flavors of that um, has happened over time. Um, people convinced that certain things are true. And, you know, I am a, I'm a lucky person in that I have really exquisite support. Um, and I have very wise beings around me, beings who have uh, been in my work and seen me in action. Um, in fact, I used to work with one fellow. He came to all my events. Very, very wise being. Trust him with my life. Um, who will call me on even the wispiest wisp of anything. You know, and, and it's kind of, I think, rare uh, for teachers to have peers like that who can aren't invested, don't have power things, aren't trying to kiss your butt, aren't important. punches. And it's just like, yeah, right there. You know, I had one retreat where um, a woman came and said, you know, you're favoring the men. And a man came and said, you know, you're favoring the women. I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, this is the power of projection. You're both right. <laughs> And this is, and this is, yeah, I'm favoring you all. And this is the, this is the challenge um, of leadership, of, of being visible in this way is number one, your own relationship to your own goodness, so to speak, innocence, the, the worthy, I don't even know how to say this. If you are going into shame, I'm bad, therefore I need to defend against this feedback, well, the feedback loop is closed. You're not able to learn. You've just said, you've just lost an opportunity to work with what's coming at you. And so the purification possibilities when someone projects on you, it, it's time to... Um, it's like if you know what's true in you and you are willing to be fallible and you are willing to be the stupidest one, the, if you're willing to be that one, the one they're saying you are, if you are that, you're actually willing to sit there going, yeah, I'm wrong, I'm projecting, you know, I, I really do hate you and you know, I'm out for you. <laughs> it's like <laughs> every little place in us where we have shadow and thus we are not open to being that stinky thing we're then not going to be able to be open and receptive and willing and human to hear what someone is saying and to see, is there an element of truth in that? What element? As well as to hold fast to, you know, yeah, make, make me into your demon. Talk to me like I'm your demon. Let's hear it. Tell me everything about my demon self.
Yeah, it reminds me of the quote um, my friend just sent yesterday. Um, in my defenselessness, my safety lies. Ah, beautiful. From the Course of Miracles. Beautiful. Beautiful. Because it ends there. Mm -hmm. um, well, it doesn't always end there. But when you don't feed the fire with defense, when you say, you know, I had, um, I had a woman of color at a retreat. Um, I used the word lynching. She said, please don't use that word. And after the session, I could have gone up to her and apologized and asked her for her thoughts and whatever and swept it under the rug. But instead, I waited to the next session and let her and said, hey, tell me all about that. I want to hear all about it. I want to hear all about how it felt, what it's like, whatever you want to say, if you want to say anything, because no requirement to say anything. And she pulled no punches, this and this, and oh, by the way, this. And I was like, yes, yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. She said, why are you so, you're so undefensive? It's like, well, because I've been sorting my shite out under fire for 20 years, you know. And I am deeply, deeply invested uh, from a, the sweetest place in doing no harm and being a haven, an ear, a sanctuary for whoever and however and whatever, even if so that that willingness to not rise in defense, which just, you know, it, it doesn't lead to anything good <laughs> to defend unless you can learn from it and maybe apologize. But when we don't defend, remember this, I sat um, for a, there was a, a man after years and years of no capital punishment happening in New Mexico when I lived there, there was a man about to be executed and someone organized a vigil for that. And I sat in the vigil and a man came in the morning and I was sitting there in the early morning, just meditating and sitting in the name of this man's about to be killed. He, and he said, what do you think of capital punishment? And I said, what do you think? And he started talking, 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 talking. And I, I just, I was there in witness mode. I didn't have like an opinion I needed to share with anyone. It was just like, look at this and what's happening. And when I didn't argue, when he got to say his whole piece and have it received, there is something that heals there. Rather than a fight, something that heals in that deep receiving. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to lead into our topic on space holding. Mm -hmm. When we get to that, um, I feel like there's a bridge here between this leading and space holding that will we'll cross that bridge too. But I want to go back to the wallpaper. Somehow I'm still stuck on the wallpaper. The wallpaper. Um, and let's see if I can draw this back into my awareness. You said we kind of get faced with looking at this, you know, stuff, this shadow, like the, you use that as turning towards the wallpaper of what's sort of filtering our perspective, every, all that unconscious conditioning. And there's this um, tendency in our culture to, um, you know, take a, take a medicine or, um, 
somehow distract ourselves or entertain ourselves so we don't have to um, look at the wallpaper, right? So I feel like there's a, a conversation here about like, like I mentioned, I'm feeling the pull to go in and really investigate this wallpaper, the pattern of it, of the texture, everything. So I can understand what I've been, um, the conditioning that filters all of my um, perspective and choosing. But in our culture, we're trained away from looking at that wallpaper. Like it would be easy for me to not go into this um, descent um, I don't know that I have a choice, but I'm saying if I did, I, I could easily distract myself and get busier in the world, make more social commitments, put on some workshops and make some money and, and you know, buy myself some things or whatever and feel better. Yeah, <laughs> but, for a um, moment. Yeah, so he here's this big kind of um, conditioning collectively to not look at it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me define wallpaper first because... There, there are several dynamics in here. And where we have undigested emotional gunk. So we have something happen. It's painful. It's overwhelming. There isn't a chance to digest it, to, to cry, to feel, and to ask some trusted being to sort it out with us and make sense of it. We all have just experiences upon experiences like this that we kind of shove away. And it seems that when one of those is touched, especially below our awareness, it's great when we're conscious of it. When one of those is touched, a few things happen. One is we can feel the emotionality again, the emotion that didn't get to digest. So we feel the grief or we feel the overwhelm or we feel the fury or whatever. The wallpaper is, in a way, the reason I call it wallpaper, it's like, a, it's like right out of that experience and our beliefs in that experience. Let's say... I'm, I'm at school, everybody's teasing me, everybody says I'm bad and stinky, and and um, and it hurts and it's overwhelming and I don't tell anyone or I try to tell someone and they say shut up, right? So when that place is touched, let's say I'm in a group, all of a sudden the wallpaper of that original, it's like it papers the walls with no one loves me, I'm left out, and we look out of those eyes and it literally looks like that is what's happening. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of emotional stuff that needs digesting. My experiences, as the emotional stuff is digested, the experience integrates and the wallpaper um, comes down. <laughs> you know, sometimes we need to visit a lot. If we had a certain context of our childhood where people treated us like we were stinky and worthless, that wallpaper would be very powerful. We also have collective wallpaper. We have collective wallpaper around perpetrators. So we believe and we enact and we reenact a certain thing about someone who perpetrates. It generally doesn't include, oh my God, that poor human who's suffering so badly, they behave like that. It usually has to do with, you're big, you're a bastard, you're scary, you know, blah, blah. And truly, you know, we can be scared around people like that. But so that wallpaper can be incredibly detailed and we can paint it. Um, and then in addition to that is the, the emotionality, the beliefs, you know, they're, they're related. Um, and, and certainly 
some wallpaper, um, we, we join together. You know, I can remember being in workplaces where people would join together with their collective wallpaper. Hey, that executive is a real jerk. Yeah, they're a real jerk. Yeah, gosh, jerk, jerk, jerk. You know, so we can gather together in our wallpaper and have a little uh, jackal frenzy. So that isn't so much distracting, but kind of amplifying the wallpaper in a collective. And that's the that's the origin of that witch hunt energy, right? Where we have a collective wallpaper, like Nazi Germany had a collective wallpaper going on there. Um, tremendously, tremendous uh, power to harm when collective wallpaper gets going in that way. Um, yeah. So that, you know, that can be a way of amplifying wallpaper. There can also be a way of, oh, I feel like I don't belong. I suck. I'm bad. So I'm going to drink or I'm going to go shopping. That's the thing you're talking about, right? And then turning toward the dynamics below the wallpaper, the the pain, the fear, to to be with, to be with and to feel and to allow ourselves the little mini descent um, in order to yeah. digest and move through that. Okay. Yeah, what I'm tracking here is, um, well, first of all, sort of just this idea that, you know, if we go to take the wallpaper off our walls, it's like, you know, in a kind of a remodeling sort of um, intention. And then we realize, oh, shit, there's another different wallpaper under here. <laughs> <laughs> there's just like layer upon layer oh. of wallpaper. Oh. <laughs> archaeology i mean it really sometimes you do feel like you're it, you're participating in some kind of inner psychic archaeology totally yeah the, it reminds me of the reticular um center in the brain which acts in a similar way i think i'm understanding you correctly so if we um have a belief or our attention is focused on something, we're going to see more of that. Like if I if I'm interested in purchasing a, um, a, a yellow and Facebook will help you <laughs> a yellow sports car, right? Then I'm going to see more of those because that's where my attention is, right? It's mm -hmm, true. Like, oh, yeah. all of a sudden oh, more of them, absolutely. but they were always there. Now my focus is on it, so I see more, and so yeah, like. The algorithm, you know, in social media and everywhere on YouTube, if we click on something, we're going to get more of that same thing, right? And we're just going to be flooded with evidence to support that interest. So that's, I think that's what you're speaking about in terms of the wallpaper, when one little thing is said and it triggers that, um, and then all our attention goes to that place where that person did us wrong and then we find all these other ways to prove. Well, that's definitely, that that definitely can happen where the focus, and this is what I've seen in projection at times when people build a story about how I feel about them, they'll take all these little isolated incidents um, and the, the selective attention that misses, um, you know, that, that misses the adoration and the attention and the, you know, it, it, there's so many side topics here. I could just go on, but the the wallpaper does include that penchant to focus on the pieces of reality that fit the story. 
but the wallpaper itself, it's almost like atmospheric. It's like an, it's a set of beliefs, but it's how reality appears as well as a penchant for focusing in on the bits to make the story true. But it's actually the storyishness that gets painted all over a given, um, a given scenario, a given moment. Um, we can be skipping down the lane feeling wonderful. Um, and, and then, uh, you know, we, we love ourselves. We love the day. We love the sunshine. And then we, then we head to a retreat and we walk into the retreat and some of our early not belonging stuff gets touched. And we literally walk into the retreat, like no one loves me. I'm the weirdest one here. I'm the most spiritual. I'm the least spiritual. I'm, I'm left out without anything at all happening. The wallpaper just chunk comes up because we're in a group situation or whatever. And so, uh, so it's a paradigm, sort of? Sort of. And we oftentimes in psychotherapy early on, we would think, well, we need to get rid of the bad wallpaper and install some good wallpaper. I'm not bad. I'm right. good. And what we learn from awakening and the deconstruction of wallpaper is that there is the possibility to be here, perhaps not in a perfectly actual way, right? But in a more close to the bone, just what's happening with no story added kind of a way, a wallpaperless way. Or no wallpaper. Yeah. And, and who can say any human is absolutely free of wallpaper, right? Because, you know, that would be, that would be so arrogant. It's unbelievable because we always have to allow for shadow. We always have to allow for the unconscious. We can never, ever claim that we are the embodiment of reality with a no wallpaper. How do we ever know? Who is, who is the authority that could possibly deem us completely free of the unconscious? Yeah. I mean, the idea of just being consciousness in a form is, is a wallpaper reality you know just we have yeah and we could say everything everything in a way is wallpaper because our senses are you know if we and this is to step toward the actual is to step toward the true to step away from story to step away from what we're adding as best we can to sit in the simple flow of consciousness and direct experience mm -hmm. there is and you can feel the aliveness in it. Yeah. Um, but what of us can say that, you know, mean? Yeah. No, it's impossible. Yeah. In our limited perspective. Yeah. The holy work. What you're referring to, the sitting in that presence. But still, it's, it's a limited perception of that totality of presence. Nonetheless. Yeah. Yeah, we have a few minutes left, and I want to um, just give you the last five minutes here to riff on anything that feels alive in the moment for you. I know um, there's always more, so whatever more is here now, oh. I'd like to share as we conclude our first session on this. Well, this is fun, first of all, and and it's I feel like 
as I often do, that these conversations and these topics, like what we've spoken is such a shred of all that could be spoken and explored about the phenomenon of shadow, the dynamics of it, how it works when we show our gifts or how it works in relationship. Um, And I just want to say one more thing about getting closer and closer to the actual is that the less we're operating in fantasy, the less we're operating through wallpaper, the wallpaper of our painful pasts or whatever, the simpler we get. The less, if we do, if we aren't functioning through the wallpaper of uh, my self-concept that must be preserved at all, you know, cost, we're just here with breath, with ground, with simplicity. There is, you know, it's called the natural state. There is, this has qualities of of justice, of fairness, of simplicity, of clear seeing, um, right action. You know, the Buddhists have put lots of great terms, right sight on this. But this is, in a way, uh, the product of spiritual seeking. It is a gift in any given situation if there are one or more humans who are in this level of simplicity, it tends to lead toward harmony, health, love, all all the good stuff, so to speak, all the good stuff. So it's really, you know, in terms of my own journey, I think a lot of people's journey, you know, it's like the interest in being whole, the interest in being clear, the interest in being a force of harmlessness, a force of, of good, basically to offer that to the world as one's offering um there's something just incredibly beautiful about that and and we are uh this is in a way to me uh what life when we're given life to me it's like an opportunity to walk this path back toward the core of ourselves the essence of ourselves to allow the uh, what's purely fantasy, what's purely baloney, what's BS. I like to say my father had as many words for BS as, uh, you know, um, some Eskimos have for snow, (laughs) horse pucky, horse shit, bullshit, you know, these things. Um, But the, the seeing of what's true allows, it's less likely Uh, that unconscious harm will be done in the context of beings who are, um, it's just, it's a worthy thing to turn toward one's soul and and one's essence. And I'm sure that the people that are watching this uh, are people who are drawn to that because that's, you know, in a way that's what I see your life and your gifts being about. and certainly what mine has been about. So beautiful. It's so common to our humanity. Thank you. That's helpful. I, I am, you know, observing within myself. Um, I've always been attracted to um, complexity and stimulation. And um, I've seen that narrowing into more simplicity. So I feel like there's this uh, movement of consciousness through this instrument um, into expansion of collecting as much data as possible on itself. And then 
narrowing into or distilling down into the essence, the simple. And so the movement from complexity and stimulation to simplicity is, um, I can feel the beauty of that and the relief of that, but I also feel the, the pangs of, um, you know, that addiction to stimulation not being fed. Yeah, well, certainly. And I want to speak up for the beauty of complexity. Yeah. Because if we look at the actual world, if we look at photosynthesis, if we look at all the processes that are happening in our bodies right now, in a way they are simply themselves, they're actual, and they're incredibly complex because this simple life energy consciousness expresses itself in infinite complexity and some of us are tuned into the beauty of that and scientists surely you know it's like investigating how does all this stuff work and then the energetic and the simplicity behind it all that is infinitely painting its beauty and creativity all over the place i mean there's nothing wrong with loving that yeah yeah you remind me of you know this this term effortlessness because there's the the complexity of trying to uh separate all the parts and identify and understand and the relationship to each other and then there's the simplicity of just purely experiencing it like you teach in the holy work and um yeah this movement um from complexity to simplicity is one of effortlessness really you know surrendering to this like there's nothing to do i don't need to yeah. do anything it's happening through me i just have to follow track my attention align it in flow with the awareness that's moving the direction things are moving um yeah and it's perfect as i'm entering what's considered the metal season of my life which you're you're in um and our conversation before we went on record, um, some of the things you were sharing about these recent changes in your life are definitely um, demonstrating this, this phase of life. Metal being about pruning, tearing down right to the essential, you know, preparing for that winter season of going inward. So I thank you for everything you've shared and um, yeah, let's let's share your contact information, your website, and anything else mm. to know as we close this conversation. Oh, sweet. Um, it's just my name, JeannieZandy.com, J-E-A-N-N-I-E-Z-A-N-D-I. Um, I also and uh, I'm working on a new website, which will be connected to my online school. Right now it's not. And the online school is school.JeannieZandy.com. There's a lot of self-guided stuff in there. If people want to look more deeply into any of the things I've talked about, there's a, a I've got lots of stuff we haven't put up yet that I'm hoping to get up there. And I do uh, two to three talks a month online that anyone is welcome to come to. Sometimes I do a series. I just did one on intimate relating. Um, I did one on addiction. I do an online retreat now and then. And the main way I work is through these committed programs. Um, a 30-day program I do twice a year. It's coming up in March called the Holy Work Challenge. And then two eight-month committed programs with a theme each month that we look into, yin, yang, self, holy, the unknown. 
and uh, we delve into that. So that that's how I work, and uh, and much of my stuff is I'm also on YouTube, and I have a Facebook group called Friends of Jeannie Zandy where people can I post every day. Um, someone recently said who I've never met uh, a fellow from Finland. He said, slowly but surely, you are helping me feel better about my humanness. <laughs> and this is just through posting <laughs> memes, right? But the, the, you know, yay fallibility, you know, yay holy, yay fallibility. Mercy to us. So thank yeah. you so much, Cindy, for what you do. Thank you for uh, embracing the totality and being such a, a fun anchor for ability you know, in for so many people that are entering this um, unknown territory, going into the descent and um, the underworld, and then helping us come back into the world and bring our gifts. It's really, you know, an essential need in our um, our world right now for yeah. people that have been there and um, know the territory and the terrain and can, you know, some guidance so thank you for that and throwing yeah. yes to the invitations when i reach out for conversation yeah yay i always love talking to you <laughs> all right well until next time bye bye <laughs> lots of love bye everyone thanks for tuning in